Due to the graphic nature of this Kingpin's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and violence that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In October of 1935, New York mobster Dutch Schultz put out a hit on special prosecutor Thomas Dewey. Dewey was the mob's greatest enemy. He was in the middle of building a case against the top bosses. So Schultz asked 33-year-old Albert Anastasia, the leader of the Mafia's enforcement crew Murder, Inc., to get him out of the way before it was too late. But after following Dewey for a couple of days, Anastasia backed off. Sitting down in his Brooklyn home, he thought about what might happen if he actually killed a federal attorney. It would mean even more heat from the feds. Anastasia conferred with a few other mafia bosses, and they agreed. For the good of their business, someone had to die. But it wouldn't be Thomas Dewey. On October 23, 1935, Dutch Schultz was eating at the Palace Chop House in Newark, New Jersey, when two of Anastasia's hitmen walked in. Schultz was completely caught off guard as bullets suddenly riddled his body. He would die the next day. Albert Anastasia was one step closer to proving himself as more than just muscle. He was a strategist, too. Lying and scheming was all part of a day's work for the cold-blooded killer, known throughout the underworld as Lord High Executioner. I'm Alastair Murden. And I'm Kate Leonard. And this is Kingpins, a ParCast original. Every Friday, we journey inside the ranks of organized crime rings from street gangs to mafiosos to understand how a kingpin or queenpin rises to the top of the underworld. And why they fall. As we follow the lives of infamous crime bosses, we'll explore how money and power changed them and how it changed the community around them. You can find episodes of Kingpins and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Kingpins for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Kingpins in the search bar. This is our first episode on Albert Anastasia, best known as the leader of Murder, Inc., the Mafia's crew of enforcers and assassins. After years of earning his reputation as a brutal killer, he would eventually head up one of the five families during the 1950s. This week, we'll follow Anastasia as he transforms from a lowly dock worker to one of the Mafia's most notorious killers. When the American Mafia was reorganized in the early 1930s, Anastasia would become a leader of its special gang of contract killers. Next week, we'll explore how Anastasia found his way to the head of his own Mafia family and how his relentless rise to power met a deadly end. We'll explore the rise of Albert Anastasia right after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. In January of 1942, 39-year-old Albert Anastasia and his fellow mafiosi were angry. For the last few years, the U.S. government had put gangster after gangster behind bars, including Anastasia's closest friend and boss, Lucky Luciano. It was a personal blow, given that Luciano was largely responsible for everything Anastasia had earned. He was determined to meet the government's crackdown with strong measures of his own. Even at the beginning of his career in the early 1920s, Nobody dared to cross Albert Anastasia, not even the police. Two decades later, Anastasia wanted to show he still held power, so he gave the following ultimatum. Release Luciano, or bad things are going to start happening on the docks. Anastasia controlled the docks in Brooklyn's Red Hook neighborhood. It was the beginning of World War II, and the docks in New York were integral to the U.S.'s naval strategy. That means his threat was traitorous, but he chose to put himself on the line for the sake of his closest ally. The feds ignored him. They were sure that the threat was nothing more than the big talk rhetoric of a gangster. Besides, they had bigger fish to fry at the time, like the Nazis. Yet according to street legend, Anastasia followed through on his word. In the early months of 1942, he ordered his men to sabotage the French ocean liner, the Normandy. The ship was possibly preparing to transport some 12,000 American troops to Europe. Anastasia wanted to send a message. Small enough that he wouldn't get in trouble, but big enough to get the feds to budge. He told his men, make a little fire just enough to let them know what we could do if we wanted to. On February 9th, 1942, Anastasia's men set fire to the Normandy's equipment, thinking the flames would remain contained. But the fire got out of control, engulfing the entire massive ocean liner. The blaze resulted in the largest firefight in New York City history at the time. Despite the incredible manpower, the fire consumed much of the Normandy, and it capsized. The official statement on the fire was that it was caused by mere negligence. It wasn't traced back to Anastasia at all. His message wasn't received, and Luciano remained behind bars. But the fire did solidify Anastasia's violent, vengeful reputation on the streets. 
there was no doubt that he was a man who possessed the power to do what many in the mafia couldn't or wouldn't do themselves. It had been that way all his life. He'd always been willing to risk everything in the name of honor. In the beginning, he was the one taking them, doing other men's dirty work. But in doing what needed to be done, he began to dream of being the man in charge. And he knew that the only way to make that dream a reality was through a great deal of grit. And he had that in spades. Violence and death surrounded Albert Anastasia from the beginning. Born Umberto Anastasio on September 26, 1902, he was raised in Tropea, Italy, a sleepy fishing village known for being war-torn and earthquake-prone. When Anastasio was six years old, the area was struck with one of Europe's most destructive earthquakes. More than 82,000 died across southern Italy. Nearby buildings toppled, and friends disappeared with them. Anastasia and his family made it out alive, but it was an ominous sign that death would always surround Anastasia. Anastasia grew up with no real love for his home. So when he was nearly 15 years old, he joined the Italian Royal Navy. He wanted to serve his country. But what he wanted even more was to get out of Tropea. And in the summer of 1917, Anastasia set sail on the SS Sardinia. On September 12th, Anastasia arrived in New York City. But once he got off the boat, he knew he had no intention of ever getting back on. Roaming through the bustling streets, he made his way to Brooklyn's Red Hook neighborhood. Right away, he wanted to make the United States his new home. And lucky for him, his brothers eventually did as well. Days after Anastasia left the SS Sardinia in September of 1917, the ship set sail without him, officially making him a naval deserter. Once Anastasia settled into his new digs, he started going by Albert instead of Umberto. Americanizing his name was the first step he took in claiming the US as his new home. The next step was to get a job. Anastasia and his brothers heard about the Black Hand mobsters running the gangs and extortion rackets in the immigrant communities, and they were eager to get in on the action. Joining the group meant power. And from a young age, Anastasia knew he wanted that kind of power, the kind that put fear into others. Throughout the early part of the 20th century, many Brooklynites lived in fear of their neighborhood's gangs. For decades, people were expected to buy from the right shops or not buy at all. The gangsters owned everyone and had the manpower to enforce their tentacled rackets. If you didn't do as the gang said, you and your family were in for trouble. Anastasia realized that one of the best ways of entry into one of these gangs was to work on the docks, and Red Hook had plenty of them. Not long after hunkering down in Brooklyn, Anastasia started working as a longshoreman. And as it turned out, working with others wasn't his forte. Anastasia wasn't the most likable guy around the docks, but ironically, this helped him make inroads with the local gangs. As word spread of Anastasia's off-putting persona, gangsters asked him to work for them on the side as an enforcer. 
Anastasia's job was to make sure people paid their debts on time and in full. He was good at it. He was a blunt bully of a man who seemingly loved to hurt people. And once he realized he could hurt people for money, it became a lucrative outlet for all his rage. In the years that followed, Anastasia's reputation for violence grew. He was reliable and effective, but he still wasn't reaching the status of some of the men around him. That all changed after a couple of fatal blows. In May of 1920, 17-year-old Anastasia and Giuseppe Florino, a fellow enforcer, got into a public argument with a justice seeker known by the name George Terillo. Terillo accused the two men of robbing his friend and demanded the money back. Instead, the two enforcers pulled out their handguns and shot him, keeping the money they had, in fact, stolen. From across the street, a woman named Margaret Ferrara Vecchio witnessed the murder. She went to the cops, and before too long, Anastasia and Florino were apprehended. The following spring, Anastasia was put on trial. During the eyewitness's testimony, Anastasia appeared cool and confident. In fact, while Mrs. Vecchio was on the stand, he allegedly caught her attention and slowly, methodically drew his finger across his throat. The threat, which only Vecchio saw, didn't stop her from testifying. And it didn't stop the jury from finding the two men guilty of murder on May 10th, 1921. They were sentenced to death by electric chair. 18-year-old Anastasia was scheduled to be executed in July of 1921. But five days before he was to make the long walk, the key witness's testimony was suddenly deemed unreliable. Why this happened isn't fully known, but it's possible that Anastasia's gangster friends may have intimidated the state into disregarding the testimony. Either way, what it meant was that instead of facing death, Anastasia and Florino would spend a mere 18 months in Sing Sing Correctional Facility. After less than two years behind bars, they were back on the streets. Mrs. Vecchio had apparently left New York. Unfortunately, her brother and husband stayed in town, and Anastasia was eager for revenge. On August 15, 1922, Anastasia and Florino are said to have murdered Vecchio's brother in broad daylight. The very next day, they reportedly killed her husband. During the investigation, the cops never looked into Anastasia. Everyone in the neighborhood knew he was the culprit, but they kept their mouths shut. Nobody wanted to follow in Vecchio's footsteps. By the fall of 1922, Anastasia had allegedly gotten away with three murders and supposedly felt no remorse. Instead, He'd perfected a method of putting to rest any cases against him by intimidating or killing off the witnesses. According to Mafia historian Thomas Hunt, Anastasia's time in Sing Sing and what happened after he got out made him an instant underworld celebrity. Anastasia believed his resume of fury and force would help him rise up the criminal ranks. And in a few short years, luck would be on his side. 
Coming up, Anastasia establishes the Mafia's most violent arm, Murder, Inc. Hi everyone, it's Alastair, and I have some very exciting news to share. I'm hosting a new podcast original series that exposes the dark, disturbing, and deadly side of medicine. It's called Medical Murders, and I think you're really going to like it. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join me as I examine the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers, dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. On Medical Murders, we'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow my new series, Medical Murders, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 1922, 19-year-old Albert Anastasia was released from prison. And when he got out, he allegedly murdered the family of his trial's key witness. Soon, everyone knew the risks of speaking out against Albert Anastasia, or the Mad Hatter, as some would eventually call him. When Anastasia returned to the streets of Red Hook, he built his dockworking career alongside his criminal one, becoming involved in and eventually gaining a measure of control over the International Longshoremen's Association Union, or ILA. According to Mafia historian Thomas Hunt, as head of the ILA, Anastasia could extort regular payments from both dock workers and their employers. Anastasia's rise in the union coincided with his rise through the Mafia. His name was being tossed around by bosses as the toughest guy around. His violent reputation soon got him a job as a driver and bodyguard for a bootlegger named Biagio Giordano. By 1923, Giordano's Brooklyn-based bootlegging operation was booming, which made him a highly lucrative target for rival racketeers. Some accounts suggest that as Giordano's bodyguard, the 20-year-old Anastasia regularly carried out hits for him. He was eager to prove his murdering chops, even though the job was a dangerous one. On April 28, 1923, Anastasia was driving Giordano when they rolled by a home with its windows open. Anastasia didn't even have a second to turn around before gunfire exploded through the windows. 
Anastasia and Giordano were shot multiple times. While Anastasia's injuries were superficial, Giordano's were fatal. He died the next day in the local hospital. A lot of the other bosses believed that Giordano's death was inevitable, so Anastasia's inability to protect him was overlooked. They never found out who ordered the hit, but it could have been any number of the bootleggers in New York. But with Giordano dead, Anastasia knew he needed a new boss, and he was eager to work for anyone. Throughout the early 1920s, Anastasia killed indiscriminately. He was always loyal to the boss of the moment, but he was most consistently faithful to renowned mobster Charles Lucky Luciano. It isn't entirely clear when Anastasia and Luciano first met, though by 1923, they were working in the same circles. Before long, they developed a loyal relationship. Luciano saw in the young man a raw and unhinged talent for drawing blood. When Luciano had a job, he'd call Anastasia. The young enforcer would oblige with no questions asked. When it came to killing, most enforcers usually had a specialty. They had a favorite weapon and stuck with it. Anastasia was different. He didn't just kill with guns. He used his hands and ice picks, too. It added an air of excitement to the job. Various historians have suggested that Anastasia's inclination for violence was pathological. His work for the mob may have given his natural violent tendencies a quasi-legitimate outlet. This is probably why Anastasia tackled job after job with a vigor unmatched by his peers. His murderous zest was so legendary, he later earned another nickname, Lord High Executioner. It was his meaty hands and trigger-happy temper that had first gotten Anastasia's name to the mob. But it would be his loyalty to Lucky Luciano that brought him to new heights. Luciano had a vision for the future of organized crime. He wanted to completely restructure the game into a more democratic model, with him as its figurative president. Anastasia, seeing a true leader in Luciano, was more than ready to follow his friend's lead. The first phase of Luciano's plan involved taking out the old bosses, the guys who had been running things for years. First on that list was Giuseppe Joe the Boss Maseria, the de facto leader of the Mafia and Luciano's boss. Since 1930, Maseria had been engaged in a war with a rival, Salvatore Maranzano. Luciano decided to use that to his advantage. He agreed to defect to Maranzano's side and arrange Masseria's death. And 28-year-old Albert Anastasia was chosen as a member of the execution team. On April 15, 1931, Luciano allegedly invited Masseria to lunch, hoping to loosen up his boss with liquor. Midway through the meal, Luciano excused himself to the bathroom. With Masseria sitting at the table alone, several gunmen rushed in. Headed up by Anastasia, the assassins riddled Masseria's chest with lead. He died soon after. And the cops never apprehended the men who did it. 
with Masseria gone, all that was left was Maranzano. Despite supposedly defecting to Maranzano's side, Luciano had no loyalty to him and, in fact, Maranzano was planning his own hit on Luciano. Once again, Luciano is said to have called on his friend Anastasia. On September 10th, 1931, Anastasia assembled a team of men and briefed them on the plan, which included giving them all new fedoras. Anastasia and his crew then drove to Maranzano's midtown office. Before they reached the elevator, Anastasia told them they needed to throw down their hats after they killed Maranzano and leave them in the office. The team hadn't the slightest clue why, but they agreed. Anastasia and his men told Maranzano's assistant that they were police officers and waltzed into the office. Then they told everyone inside to stand against the wall. Guns blazing, they quickly found Maranzano and shot him several times. And before disappearing into the Manhattan streets, they dropped their fedoras. When the cops came to the scene, they looked to the hats for clues. The tags read, made in Chicago. This led the police to believe the job was done by hitmen from out of town. By the end of 1931, New York's two biggest mobsters had been taken out, and Luciano moved into the seat of power. Salvatore Maranzano had decided that the mafia should be divided between five families, who would control New York's five boroughs. Luciano established the commission as a means of unifying the mob and its efforts. According to mafia biographers Frank DiMatteo and Michael Benson, each family would have a boss, an underboss, a consigliore, a man of wisdom who would give advice to the boss, and capos, a hierarchy based on the old Roman guard. Under the new system, Albert Anastasia served as the Mangano family's underboss. He would be working directly under 43-year-old racketeer Vincent Mangano. Luciano thought they'd work well together because they had similar experiences working on the waterfront. His assumption turned out to be dead wrong. Anastasia and Mangano didn't like each other at all, but they respected Luciano enough to tolerate each other for the time being. Mangano and Anastasia's rackets included alcohol, drugs, and the smuggling of undocumented Italian immigrants. Although Mangano was technically the head of the family, Anastasia was actually the one running things. His close relationship with Luciano made him practically untouchable, leaving Mangano forced to accept things as they were. However, the most important development for Anastasia was when Luciano put him in charge of the Mafia's new Secret Enforcement Agency, also known as a Sete a secret society within a secret society. This sete consisted of professional killers who could discreetly carry out hits for the bosses. In time, it would become known as Murder, Inc. Sometimes, Anastasia referred to the group as Cosa Mia, or My Thing. More often, he avoided any sort of labeling. But neither he nor any of his men ever called their group Murder, Inc. It didn't matter, though. The tabloids made sure the name stuck. 
By the early 1930s, the name Albert Anastasia meant something. He was no longer just a man who shot when called, but a man calling the shots. He was exactly who he had always aspired to be. And yet, it was only the beginning. Coming up, Murder, Inc.'s meteoric rise brings trouble from the federal government. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now back to the story. In the early 1930s, Albert Anastasia helped his friend Lucky Luciano kill off the old guard and restructure the mafia. As a thank you for his brutal services, Luciano made Anastasia the head of the mob's enforcement agency, Murder, Inc., as head of Murder, Inc., Anastasia was reviled by most, respected by some, and feared by all of New York. He had long been organized crime's top enforcer. Now he had an army to assist him. Murder, Inc.'s membership was kept to a limited number, and it consisted of a mix of Italian and Jewish gangsters. Alongside Anastasia, Jewish mob boss Louis Lepke Bacolta helped build the team. When their men first started carrying out hits, the police didn't know what to make of the apparent cross-pollination. Jewish gangsters were killing Italians and vice versa, and there seemed to be no motive for either party. This confusion was all part of Anastasia and Lepke's plan to keep their kills untraceable. Murder, Inc. was headquartered at Midnight Rose Candy Store in Brownsville, Brooklyn. The owner, Mrs. Rose Gold, turned a blind eye to the illegal goings-on because she allegedly ran plenty of her own, including gambling and prostitution rackets. As head of the crew, Anastasia wielded the power he had always wanted. But the role of leader also put a major target on his back. And as the bodies piled up, it was only a matter of time before he was in the crosshairs of law enforcement. That reckoning came in the form of 33-year-old Special Prosecutor Thomas Dewey. In the summer of 1935, Dewey was looking into bringing down Anastasia and Luciano, the two men he believed to be the most dangerous in organized crime. If he could lock them up, he thought he might dismantle the whole mafia system. At the same time, Dewey was working on bringing down Dutch Schultz, a racketeer lording over Harlem. Realizing that Dewey had a strong case against him, Schultz asked Anastasia to kill the prosecutor. Initially, Anastasia stalked Dewey to keep up the appearance that he'd carry out Schultz's orders. But after talking it over with Luciano, Anastasia thought it had better serve the mob in the long term if they took out Schultz instead. And so, in October of 1935, Murder, Inc. set about planning Schultz's killing. After being ambushed by Murder, Inc. men, 
Schultz was rushed to the hospital and put on life support. The story goes that a police sergeant sat at his bedside and asked him who had pulled the trigger. Schultz mustered up all the strength he had left and said, Who shot me? No one. Even though he knew he had been betrayed, Schultz didn't expose Anastasia and Luciano or the other members of Murder, Inc. He knew what happened to rats and their families. Meanwhile, Thomas Dewey had been spared, and he didn't stop his crusade to bring the mafia down. Both Anastasia and Lucky quickly came to regret their decision to keep him around. Dewey brought in every hustler he could find. He was able to find a few willing to talk. By the time he was done with his investigation, he charged Luciano with 62 counts of compulsory prostitution. Dewey had achieved what others had been too afraid to do. He'd cut off the mob's head. On June 5, 1936, Charles Luciano was convicted and later sentenced to 30 to 50 years in prison. This was the most serious legal blow the modern mob had faced, but it was an even bigger hit to Anastasia. Lucky had been his greatest ally and friend. And with Luciano out of the way, Dewey could turn his full attention to Anastasia and Murder, Inc. All it took was one slip-up to bring the whole crew down. That slip-up came sooner rather than later. Sometime in the summer of 1936, a fight broke out outside Midnight Rose, Murder, Inc.'s hangout. The cops arrived to break it up, and they grew suspicious of what this group of men were all doing fighting outside a candy store. It didn't take a genius to put the pieces together. Anastasia was furious when he heard about the fight. He knew Murder, Inc. was next on the chopping block. Lepke Bukalta had the same feeling. He would eventually go underground, fearing that the feds were after him. His suspicions were right. As soon as Bacalter slipped into the shadows, law enforcement cracked down on every mobster they could find. Anastasia, for his part, kept a low profile. But the more he thought about it, the more he believed that if he could appease the feds, perhaps he could slow down the inevitable. The idea he came up with was handing over Bacalta, his own Murder, Inc. partner. Anastasia had betrayed plenty of people before to protect himself and advance his career. Bacalta was just another notch on his belt. In the summer of 1939, Anastasia convinced Bacalta to talk to the cops. In order to get him in the car, Anastasia lied and said the feds were willing to cut Bacalta a deal. Anastasia drove Bacalta to a meeting point close to Madison Square Park. Once they arrived, Bacalta was removed from the vehicle and instantly arrested. Anastasia quickly sped off, later telling one of his colleagues, once they put their hands on Lepke, all the deals in the world couldn't save him. He was right. Bacalta was eventually executed by the government while Anastasia roamed free. Thomas Dewey remained vigilant in his quest to bring down the Mafia. He'd pull in whatever men he could find for offenses both small and big. In early 1940, four of Murder, Inc.'s top killers were arrested for vagrancy. 
Although most of these men were staunchly opposed to being called a rat, all of them were lured by the DA's bait. Dewey promised them each a clean slate if they turned on their higher-ups. But in the end, only one actually bit. Abraham Kid Twist Rellis. Rellis told them everything, trusting in good faith that he would be allowed to walk out clean as a whistle. When Anastasia heard that Rellis had talked, he likely knew the feds might actually have a case against him, witness and all. He went into hiding, holed up at a variety of Manhattan's swankiest hotels. He knew his only way out was to kill the snitch. Rellis was scheduled to testify against Anastasia on November 13, 1941. But the night before, the officers at his heavily guarded safe house heard a loud smack outside the building. It was Rellis. In an attempt to escape, he'd supposedly fallen to his death from the window. Although the official story said there was no foul play, it seemed like more than a mere possibility to some that one of Rellis's armed guards was bribed to murder him. The leading witness that could have put Anastasia behind bars was no longer available. After Rellis's death, Albert Anastasia was able to come out of hiding. And less than a month later, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. The FBI was less interested in the mafia and more focused on World War II. Anastasia suddenly became a small fish in a big pond of international bad guys. And in mid-1942, he used his newfound freedom to do something shocking. He joined the army. He had grown to love his new country and wanted to help defeat the fascist Mussolini lording over his native Italy. Plus, folding into the army's ranks would be a welcome excuse to keep a low profile as Murder, Inc. continued to fall apart. Anastasia wouldn't see any action. Instead, he was stationed at Indian Town Gap Military Reservation in Pennsylvania. While stationed in Pennsylvania, Anastasia took advantage of the more lenient rules regarding citizenship for immigrant soldiers during the war. On June 29, 1943, he was officially made a U.S. citizen. In the midst of the world's chaos, Things were looking up for Anastasia. But it wouldn't stay that way for long. By the time World War II ended, a renewed desire for power consumed Anastasia. And in order to get to the top, more bodies were going to have to drop. Thanks again for listening to Kingpins. Join us next week as Albert Anastasia cements himself as the mob's most feared and most violent boss. For more information on Albert Anastasia, amongst the many sources we used, we found Frank DiMatteo and Michael Benson's Lord High Executioner extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Kingpins and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Kingpins for free 
from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Kingpins on Spotify, just open the app and type Kingpins in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. Kingpins was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Kingpins was written by Justine Bede, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher, and stars Kate Leonard and Alastair Murden. Killer nurses. Deranged doctors. Mad scientists. Don't forget to subscribe to my new podcast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. I'm so proud of this show and can't wait for you to check it out. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>